13th week of our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark called Journey to Change, and I have enjoyed every sermon, but I've known the whole time that we were going to have to get to today. Full disclosure, I've not been looking forward to this sermon. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is very, very straightforward and he lays out uh, what, what is most important in, in his church and in God's mind, what's most important for us to be doing. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like it, or the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that is straightforward. It's easy to understand. It's very preachable. Right? You, you can get a sermon out of that. You don't have to say, what in the world am I going to do with this? And then there's Mark 13, which is none of those things. It is not straightforward. It is not easy to understand. And on the surface, it does not seem very preachable. I've not been looking forward to this sermon at all. But I think we're at a place where uh, we can all take some very important things away from what Jesus has to say. It all starts with a conversation between Jesus and four of his disciples. And the disciples ask Jesus a question. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. And Jesus replied, yeah, look at these great buildings. But they will be completely demolished. No stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. And Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him. They said, tell us when this will happen. What sign will show up that these things are about to be fulfilled? When are these things going to happen, Jesus? How are we going to know that all of these things are going to happen, that no stone in the temple is going to be left standing on top of each other? How are we going to know when that's going to happen? Now, I understand. I understand why the disciples ask this question. How many of you know what signs to look for when you or somebody else might be having a stroke? What do you look for? Fast, right? Anybody know what fast stands for? Face, arms, speech, time. So if your face starts to droop on one side or on both sides, that's a warning sign. If your arm gets weak very quickly, that's a warning time. If your speech is blurred or you find yourself unable to speak, that's a warning sign. And if you have any of those three symptoms or all of those three symptoms, time is of the most importance. It's a critical that you call 911 immediately. So you look for face, arm, speech, and time. The disciples are asking Jesus... What do we need to look for? What is the fast that we need to observe before these things that you have described happens? So far, pretty straightforward. We've got what we're looking for. And, and so the disciples are looking for face, arms, speech, time. Something pretty straightforward they can take with them. Here's how Jesus responds. 
A little bit different than what they had in mind. Here's what he says. Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world, as well as famines, but this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own children. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of the roof must not even go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for a pregnant woman and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter. For there will be great anguish in those days. That, that greater than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens the time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive if possible, even God's chosen ones. So watch out. I've warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers and the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its, and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer's near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows, and since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You, too, must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping when he returns with no warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. 
That's a long passage of scripture, and I think it, it ends with an appropriate warning for all of us, maybe even an especially appropriate warning today. Stay awake. I just read a whole chapter of Bible, stay awake. I'm looking at some of you, some of you stayed up late watching basketball last night, stay awake. Some of you just got back from spring break, stay awake. All right, so that's my joke. Um, anybody understand why I haven't been looking forward to this sermon when it comes to interpreting the Bible, this is an absolute nightmare. I mean, really, there's just so much. I've always kind of thought about this passage like Christmas lights. You can get your Christmas lights out of the box. They've been in the box all year, and this magical thing happens. You put them away all organized, but when you get them out of the box, what are they like? They're not organized, and it's, it's something that happens in the box over the course of the year where they just get tangled, and you're working on one section of the lights, and you're thinking you're doing something that's making progress, but it's really making some other section of the lights worse. And it's the same in this passage. You think you're making progress, understanding what Jesus is saying, and if you understand one part of the passage, it just makes another part of the passage more confusing. That's what this passage is like. And we start wondering, well, is Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70? Is he talking about the last days? Or is he talking about his second coming? And the answer is yes. It just depends on where you're reading in the chapter. And in some cases, in what part of what verse you're looking at. It's so easy to get caught up in the weeds of Mark chapter 13. It's so easy to get caught up in the weeds of this chapter and miss the point that Jesus is trying to make. So for our time today, for the study that we're going to do today, I want to give you some advice that I heard from Alistair Begg. Uh, he's one of my favorite preachers to listen to. He's just got a lovely voice, doesn't he? Anyway, but uh, some advice from Alistair Begg to remember when approaching this text. He says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Now, at first, that may seem like a cute little phrase, but it's vitally important. It is vitally important. If we allow ourselves to get caught up in the weeds of this passage, we're in danger not only of missing the point of the passage, but of discouraging somebody else in their faith along the way. So let me, let me explain to you what I mean here. Uh, Paul gives this warning to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, avoid worthless and foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. The kind of talk spreads like a cancer, as is the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. So getting caught in the weeds is dangerous. We may end up discouraging somebody in their faith. Now, I'm not saying that this is a text that should be ignored. I'm not saying that we shouldn't study this text. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have opinions about what Jesus is saying here. What I'm saying is, if we get consumed in the details, we'll miss the big picture that those details form. If we get consumed in the details, we'll miss the big picture that those details form. So when this becomes a passage that we spend our time debating endlessly, we run the risk of doing something very dangerous. When we debate passages like this one endlessly, we run the risk of elevating theology to a position of idolatry. So that's why Begg's words are so important for us. As we study this passage today, I hope you can remember that the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. 
So in, in, in preaching or teaching this passage, a lot of people, uh, they get really hyped up on these uh, apocalyptic readings. All right, they're all about talking about the abomination standing in the place he shouldn't be. They're all about talking about the sun going dark in the sky and stars falling and, and everybody dying as they flee in winter. And I just want to remind us of the point that Jesus is making. I just want to remind us of the point Jesus is making. So um, I'm going to organize this sermon into two categories here. The first one is the truth that Jesus is communicating to us. And the second is what do we do in response? What do we do in, in light of that truth? So here's the truth that Jesus is imparting to us very plainly. Verse 32, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. So a lot of people are going, well, see, Jesus said that the sun is going to go dark in the sky. There's an eclipse coming or the stars are going to start falling from the sky. There's a meteor shower or, you know, that it's, it's been really cold or abnormally warm. We probably better pay attention for these last days. But Jesus very clearly says no one knows. And we can have this conversation where we say, Jesus is going to come back today because of this and this, or Jesus is going to come back on March 31st, 2022, because of this reason, this reason, and this reason. But Jesus says, no one knows. No one knows. This is the main point that Jesus is very tri- clearly trying to get across is this. It's not possible to know when Jesus will return. People don't know. The angels don't know. Jesus doesn't know. Only the Father knows. That's truth. So once you think about all the prophecies about Jesus' birth, everything we know about him, everything that was said about Jesus in the Old Testament through the prophets, everything that we have studied, nobody would have thought to look in a manger. Nobody would have thought to look in a manger Nobody would have thought Mary and Joseph or his parents. Nobody would have predicted any of that. It was only the event of Jesus' birth that brought clarity. Same will be true of his return. Only the event of Jesus' return will bring clarity about it. Only the event of Jesus' return will bring clarity about it. But if we wait until then to act, it will be too late. So we we get to that part, and and we're good with that. We go, okay, nobody knows the hour or the day, and and we can understand that, but it's hard to not want to work on that. It's hard to not go, okay, well, we may not know when Jesus is returning, but I want to know as much as possible. And so we ask a lot of questions, and we say, do you think we're living in the last days? I get that question sometimes. Uh, do you think we're living in the last days? And the easy answer is yes. Yes, we are. And the easy answer is yes, because if we talk about the last days as a biblical concept, that, that means any time after the resurrection of Jesus through his return. So yes, we are living in the last days, but that's the easy answer, because I know that's not what people mean. What they mean when they say, are we living in the last days, is, hey, how close are we to North Korea and Iran getting nuclear weapons and blowing the world up in a mushroom cloud and having Jesus come back and the four horsemen of the apocalypse start dancing, doing their thing? That's what people mean when they ask, are we living in the last days? You know what my answer is? I don't know. I don't know. 
You don't either. If you're being honest, you don't know either. If we're answering based on our biblical knowledge, the answer is, I don't know. But that's what people are asking. People want to know if we're living in the last days. Are we close to the end of the world? Are we close to Jesus' return? And our answer is, I don't know. So that's the truth. What do we do with that truth? How do we apply that? The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And when he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, midnight, before dawn, at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. So, so the truth is, we don't know when Jesus will return. Here's how we apply that truth. The only way to make sure we are ready is to be ready. That seems like kind of an obvious statement, right? But let me just say it one more time. The only way to make sure we are ready when Jesus returns is to be ready now. Now, that's not a concept that we're unfamiliar with. Let me give you a few examples. If you call 911, do you know during which hours you will get a live person on the other end of the line? When, if you call 911, when, 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 you, when will you talk to a live person? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 365 days a year. There's no time when the police say, well, there's not really crime that happens during this hour, uh, so we're going to have you know, a, a voice recording. The fire department doesn't say, well, there's not really any fires that happen during this time. They are in a constant state of readiness because it's always possible that they will need to act. You're never going to call 911 and hear a voicemail recording that says, our business hours are Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturday, 9 to 2, and Sunday, 12 to 5. If you'd like to repeat these hours, press star. If it's an actual emergency, please hang up and yell as loud as possible, right? You're not going to get that because they always need to be ready to act at a moment's notice. Let me give you another example. Maybe this one's a little closer to home for you. How many of you know somebody who has a severe allergy? Like one of those allergies where you can't be around. Like peanut allergies is the first one that comes to my mind. And you hear about those people. Uh, I used to work at a camp, and so every once in a while there'd be a camper that couldn't be in the same room as a peanut butter sandwich. You know, like it's hard for me to understand, but that's a real thing. They can trigger a life-threatening anaphylactic response by just being in the same room as like a peanut particle or whatever it is. I don't know, but but... What is the one thing that that person who has that severe allergy is never, ever without? What do they always have with them? An EpiPen. They always have an EpiPen. Why? Because they can't wait until they have a reaction to call the pharmacist and ask for an EpiPen. So when the reaction starts, they either have what they need or they're in trouble. They don't know when they need it, so they always have it. Somebody with a severe allergy knows the lesson already that Jesus is trying to teach us. Nobody knows when you'll need it, so you better always have it. Here's another way of saying it. When something's important, we live in a state of readiness. When something's important, we live in a state of readiness. 
Jesus is saying, your faith is important. Make sure you're ready because you don't know when I'm coming back. And when I do, you're either ready or you're not. That's the message that Jesus is preaching in Mark chapter 13. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. We can spend hours and hours and hours talking about all the different and minute exegetical concepts in Mark chapter 13, and they are intentionally difficult to understand and interpret for one very specific reason. Jesus is shining a spotlight on this idea, be ready. Be ready. So I want to encourage you, as you read Mark chapter 13, as you talk about it in your small groups, don't read this passage like an art critic. You ever read an art review? It is just insufferable. I mean, it is just awful. You know, you look at the painting that they are reviewing, and you see, like, it is, okay, I, I get what the picture is. I get it. I understand it. That's, those are lovely colors. And then this art critic starts talking about structure and tone and scale and complexity. And by the end, I'm like, I've never even seen this painting. This is dogs playing poker. What are you talking about? Don't get so caught up in the details that you miss what you're looking at. That's a silly example. That's a silly example, but don't get so lost in the details that you miss the picture Jesus is painting. And don't miss how it fits into the larger story of the Bible. So here's how this story, here's, here's the story of the Bible. God has enacted a plan to save everyone who has ever sinned. Jesus has come to restore humanity's relationship with God because our relationship with God has been broken by sin and all of us, whether or not we want to dance around the issue, have sinned at some point and our relationship with God has been broken. Jesus came to restore that relationship. He restored it by paying the price of our sin so that it will no, no longer be something that separates us from God. That's what the Bible points to all the way back from Genesis chapter 3 until we get to this point in the Gospel of Mark. And here in the Gospel of Mark, in the last week of Jesus' ministry on earth, we are painfully close to the fulfillment of all these words, of all these promises that have been spoken through the prophets from Genesis until now. And Jesus is telling us, after I've come, or after I've done what I came to do, after I die as the punishment for your sins, and after I resurrect, you will have time to get ready. You will have time to get ready. So right now, you have the opportunity to accept the work that Jesus has already done for you. The work is already done to say, yes, Lord, I need your forgiveness. Yes, Lord, I need to repent of my sins and be baptized for their forgiveness. Jesus is reminding us that that time is here now. But one day when he returns, there will be no more opportunity. So be ready. Be ready now. Let me close with this. I had the opportunity late last year to buy a really beautiful hardcover commentary set 
for a reasonable price. Uh, it was still going to be expensive, but it was going to be doable. It was a commentary set by a man that, that I really value as a commentator. I've got several of his works, uh, but this was a nice hardcover, full set by Roy Lauren, and I just loved it, and I wanted it. It was going to be expensive, but it was in the right price range. It was doable. It was going to be immensely useful to me, and I kind of hem-hawed and twiddled my thumbs, and it was expensive, and I'd every day, here's what I did. I'd go to that website, and I'd just look at it. Is today the day I'm going to buy it? And I, of course I wouldn't. I'd just twiddle my thumbs and twiddle my thumbs, and for months, I did this dance. Every day, I'd go to the website, and I'd look for these beautiful commentaries by Roy Lauren until one day I went, and they were sold. And it's easy for us to laugh about it because this is fairly inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. But I had this very vivid response. And every day, I thought about it, and when I realized that those commentaries were sold, every day that I had delayed was a source of regret for me. It's interesting to me that that's how I respond. Now listen, I can live without that commentary set. I am living very effectively without that commentary set. I'm fine, life goes on, but one day the opportunity to accept Jesus will have passed, and life won't go on, business as usual. Everything will change, and in that moment, every day that you delayed will be a source of deep regret. So can I just tell you the best way to be ready then is to be ready now? If you'd like to talk about what it means to be ready, we're going to have our elders at the back of the room. They will be ready to talk with you, to have a conversation about what it means to be ready. Or if you want to come down front and we'll talk, we'll baptize you today. Uh, whatever you want to do, we're ready to have that conversation with you today. Um, but just remember, the best way to be ready then is to be ready now. So let's stand and sing together.